Hey, we're on. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, uh, thank you again for uh, being with us today. If you're a guest, we're again honored that you are joining us today. Today is our fourth week in our, well, kind of what is a five-week series, although with next week, uh, us all going to the parking lot, that kind of makes it a different fifth week. Um, but what a way to celebrate our fifth week of our series, Small Town Church, joining with five other churches at Thief River Falls to uh, have church together as the church of the kingdom of God. And so over the last few weeks, uh, we've covered some pretty amazing but foundational pieces to what it means to be a small town church. Now, again, I want to clarify that I don't believe that um, small defines the church of a small town. I believe that a small church or a small town church can be actually very effective and powerful in the kingdom of God. And so we don't want to term any church in a small town a small church. We want to define it as a powerful tool in God's kingdom because we're all part of the same family. And so we're working together to create within the Thief River Falls and beyond a, a family of God that is united to reach those who have yet heard the gospel. And so our passage over the last few weeks has been found out of Ephesians 2.18 through verse 22. Now, this is in a message translation, so if you're following along, it may sound a little different than what you're going to be reading in today. But the reason I, I picked this passage um, in this particular translation is because it really depicts this whole us together as one. And it really defines that that church is not just one person or or one denomination or one building. It's all of us coming together to create one in the same, a, a kingdom of God. And so this is really powerfully stated when Paul says the kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles, the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you. Oh, get that into your spirit today. He is using you. You have the choice whether you allow him to use you or not. He's fitting you in uh, brick by brick, stone by stone, with this is very important with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. What are we unified on? Jesus Christ. We see it taking shape day by day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. So Paul illustrates this very powerful and important passage today that we are all part of the family of God. If you've entered into this faith we call Christianity, you are part of the family and you have a very valuable piece. If there's one thing that you get today, I want you to understand your importance. You see, together we can create a winning team. That will bring many into the family of God. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here for Nexus Church. We're not here for the assemblies of God. Uh, we're not here for uh, whatever you may want to think. 
that a church might be here for. I hear it all the time. Church is just about themselves. They just want to, to pad their, their bank account. They just want to have a, a, a new airplane or car or whatever it is that people talk about with churches. We're not here for ourselves. We are here for the kingdom of God to see people join this family. That's what it's all about. We're just here as a group of people that have gathered to worship our king. And so in the past three weeks, we have covered the foundation of what is the family of God. If you remember the first week, and and we'll kind of cover this very briefly in just a few moments, we, we really covered just who are we? Who are you? Who am I in the family of God? What does it take for me to join that family of God? Week two, we talked about the family itself. What does it mean to be a healthy church inside? How do we create this health inside. And then last week we talked about your part. What part do you play? As Paul just perfectly put in his illustration, we all have a piece. And I like he has even a, a better way of illustrating it in, in Corinthians when he talks about us being the body, right? We are all part of a body. I tell you what right now, if, if you are the heart in the body, If we take you out, the body isn't going to be very good. And likewise, in the church, in the family of God, without each of us playing our part, the rest of the body is severely hindered. And so we need everybody to do their part. And so that's what we talked about for the first three weeks. But today, we take a very important step in going from this inward church, as as I call it and many other scholars call it, to an outward church. What does it mean to take this group of people that has become healthy? Now, whatever you term healthy, nobody's ever perfectly healthy, but what the best we can to create this family and to the world that has yet heard about Jesus. That doesn't go to church. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about how we can take our church family into our community and show the love of God. Now, before we get to that, we're going to recover just a few things that we've covered so far in this series because there's an elephant in the room. <laughs> what do I mean by that? There, there's an issue in Christianity that I believe needs to be addressed that many in the church for years have just kind of ignored. But if you ever bring an elephant into the room, especially in a room such as a sanctuary, it takes up the whole room and it makes it very obvious that there's an issue that people are not dealing with. And here's the issue. If you want to put the stats up on the screen, uh, that would be helpful because these are numbers that just, uh, they're breathtaking. Because we, as Christianity, as the family of God in America, has lost influence in society. What once was a a very integral part of America, whether it's Canada, USA, even Mexico, what was so central to our culture has slowly faded over the years. And you don't have to look any further than the U.S. Census, where we read in in Christianity, in the churched people. Now, this is just Pennington County numbers, because I really wanted to bring it home to us today, our community. And if you know our community, Thief River Falls predominantly makes up all of Pennington County as far as population. If those who aren't in our city limits... 
pretty much come here almost every day for either a job or finding uh, food or having some kind of way to just live life. They're here regularly. And so in our county, in the year 2000, the church, that is anybody who calls on the name of Jesus and goes to a church, accounted for, look at that, 10,399 people. That's a good percentage of what our county was at that time, just under 14,000. However, in just a short 10 years, we dropped to 9,468. That's 645 people who once were a part of the church are no longer part of the church. That's an issue. That's an issue. And now there's many reasons why that could be, but it gets even more important to understand when we look at the unchurched. What's happened with the unchurched in that same time frame from the year 2000 to 2010? Well, in the year 2000, there was about 2,250 people who didn't consider themselves a part of a church. And they don't lay claim to whether it's Lutheran, a Pentecostal, or whatever. They don't go to a church. That's a significant amount. But what's important to understand is in the year 2000, 4,462 people now no longer consider themselves a part of the church. That's a doubling. That's 2,200 more people that do not go to church anymore. Now, this isn't just new people coming into the community necessarily. This is people leaving the church because our population increased only by 346 people in that same time frame. So there wasn't a lot of people coming and going. We grew a little bit. Now, I found this very important because this same census from 1980 to 2010 shows us that 1,720 people have left the church in that timeline. So what we've seen from 2000 to 2010 has been happening for a long time. This isn't something new. We have lost, in my lifetime, almost 2,000 people from the church in Pennington County predominantly Thief River Falls. That's an issue. But the question must be, is why? what is causing this elephant in the room? Why are people leaving? Now, there's a lot of research, and I'm actually uh, anticipating that my thesis is going to be on this. And so I've been doing a lot of reading on this because I find it very alarming that the church is losing so many people. What causes that? Well, we go back to the first week. And what did people think of when I asked the question, what is a small town church? And if you were with us, you remember some of these. People thought of the church as full of gossip, bigotry, lack of resources, like they just, they don't have anything. They're always asking for money. They're never giving anything. They're stuck in tradition. Very common. Never thinking about how can they reach others with the love of God, but they expect things to be their way. Small-minded and, of course, judgmental. Now, this isn't anything new to religion, specifically those who follow the one true God. We go way back into the New Testament where Jesus himself addressed the religious people of his day. And if you want to turn uh, to Luke chapter 15, we'll be going to verse 11 in just a moment. But this is something that's been happening. And in, in verse or chapter 15 of Luke, 
Now, this is in other Gospels as well. Jesus gives three stories of how we are supposed to go after those who are not a part of the family of God. He gives three illustrations. But in the story of the prodigal son or the lost son, he gives a contrast between how one group of people view those not a part of the church or the family of God and in the improper way, a proper way and an improper way of how we engage those who are not part of the family of God. And so I want to read that with you today. If you are following along on a device, I am reading from the New Living Translation. And if you're reading from another one, it might be a little bit different from yours, but it'll be close. And so he, we begin by reading, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. Now again, he's telling this to the religious people, those people who have rejected so many people. If you didn't believe a certain way, if you didn't act a certain way, if you didn't do certain things at certain times, a lot of it was all their own man-made rules. You couldn't be a part. And so Jesus is saying, here is a story to illustrate what your issue is, religious people. He says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want to share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. And so the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A very gracious thing to do, mind you. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and took a trip to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. About that time, his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. The big boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired men have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worry of being called, worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired man. And so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his father said to him, Father, or he, he, Said to his son, embrace him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get the ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf. We have been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost. But now he's found. And so the party began. And meanwhile, the older son, who was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard the music and the servants, and the servants what was and asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the calf. We were fattening and has prepared a great feast. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've worked hard for you, 
and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. In all this time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the finest calf we have. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you and I are very close, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead. He's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Now, maybe you've heard that story a thousand times, and it's just kind of like, ah, here it is again. I've heard so many messages on it. But maybe you've heard this for the first time. You're like, wow, that's, that's a loaded story there. And it is. And I'm not going to belabor all of the things that you can take out of that story because there's a lot. But the point is, so many people feel like they've looked into the church. They've walked the aisles of the church. They've maybe even attended for a while, but they feel like the church is the big brother, the perfect son who's done none, nothing wrong, who's always been perfect, that faithful son. I've been faithful to God all these years. And they feel like when they walk through those doors, that church is looking down on them and expects them to believe a certain way, live a certain way. And they're done. I believe that that's been going on in the church for quite a while. This is not something new. This is something that religious people have dealt with their whole life. This, this, I'm working so hard for God. And then somebody comes in and, and is so, so imperfect. So not worthy to be part of my family. And you feel uncomfortable. They've walked into your territory. And people are not willing to put up with that feeling anymore of judgment and criticism. I love how Tom Rayner put it. He powerfully exclaimed, when the preferences of the church members are greater than the passion for the gospel, the church is dying. Here's where I want to go for the rest of our time together. We know what the problem is. We may not have addressed it very well in throughout the years of the church, this, this, this feeling of superiority or you have to live to our standards if you want to be here and if, if you want anything to do with us, you have to come to us and maybe we'll help you if we can. We won't sacrifice for you, but we'll, we'll give you what leftovers we have. How can we change this perspective of, of the world around us that looks at the church as this bigots, hateful, angry place to a place that we truly are. What God has called us to be, what we've covered for the last three weeks, how can we, how can we help our community understand who we really are? Well, this week I, I asked the question, what is the greatest way a person can serve their community? I put that up on Facebook, and I had some very good examples. A few of them were serve orphans and widows. Absolutely. Joining the National Guard. 
Can't tell you who that might be. Thanks, Zach. Give blood. All these examples of how we can help our community. And truly, it is acts of service, right? But there was some comments that I got that were just like, they, they got underneath the surface, that really dug in to what is going to change our community. How are we going to reach those 5,000 people who no longer are part of our church or who have never been part of a church Never understood who is God, who is Jesus, what is this faith thing all about. They've never heard. They were much like maybe you, but for sure like myself when I was a kid, I'd never walked into a church in my life. I had no idea what they did in them. People every day drive by churches and wonder what goes on in there anyway. They might have an idea from a sitcom or from the nightly news. But they have no clue. How can we help them to understand the truth of who we really are? What this command that Jesus has given us to love others as much as we love ourselves and love him. And the first thing that we've seen in these comments was simple showing no judgment. Showing kindness. I like that. Simple, right? Showing kindness to people when they're in front of us. In a line, not judging people when they maybe cut us off when we're driving or pulled out in front of us. Another comment that I really like was seeing the needs and being available when needed. Seeing a need. How many times do we see a need or too busy? As one of my friends put it, it was it was the. Oh, I wish I could remember exactly how he put it, but being interruptible was his thought. Being interruptible. That means allowing yourself to be going about your busy life and somebody puts something on Facebook and you say, oh my goodness, they need somebody right now. They're going to, they're, they're not going to make it. And you allow yourself to stop and allow their hurt to interrupt your day to reach in and show kindness. Or care, love. I love that thought. Being interruptible, being available. Now, there's two things that I want to take from these comments that really want to drive home today. And the first one is, is that this is not a program-driven, outreach-driven thought that so many churches for a long time have have used. Now, I love programs, I love community engagements or outreaches, whatever you want to call them, because that truly is giving a a pool of resources out to people in a massive way. And it it is a great way to to engage the community. We do things like our our back-to-school celebration where we give away backpack supplies and clothes, and we do all sorts of things for our community to show them love. Those things are important and not downsizing them, but true change doesn't happen through programs. People have needs. And so often churches have gotten caught in this mentality that, that we expect them to come to us and have the needs that we want to provide for them. And that's not how it works. Everybody's needs are different. We need to address that. And so we need to go back to really what we read in God's word And back to our story today. Because how did the father respond to the lost son? 
What is Jesus trying to tell his people in this passage today? What is he trying to tell you and me as the family of God, his church, the body? He's telling us one clear thing. He's coming to us. He's coming to the people who have yet heard the good news of Jesus. He's going right to them. Because when this son was far off, Right. This this father has no idea what this son is all about way out there. It's a spot in the desert coming towards him. He had no idea if he was coming back for more money, if he was coming back to cheat him of something. He had no idea what his son was coming back for. He knew his son was lost and he ran to him. He didn't wait for him. He ran to him with arms wide open, thankful that his son had returned. You see, that's what Jesus wants for us. He's not asking us to sit here in our four walls expecting people to walk through our doors. He's expecting us to go to the people. Look at some of these passages. You can write them down for yourself and go read them later. Mark six fifteen. it's the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Go to all the world. Don't expect them to come to you. Go to them. Acts 1 8, one of the most popular verses in Pentecostal world is you're going to receive power. You're going to receive this power of the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's supposed to fill you for what? To be a witness to not just here in, in your world of Jerusalem, but in Judea, beyond Samaria, those people that you're not supposed to talk to. If you know the Bible, those are the bad people that nobody should talk to. They're the heathens. And to the ends of the world. Like, we're not supposed to sit here waiting for people to come to us. We're to go to them. And then lastly, in Matthew 9, 35 and 36, a passage we read last week. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area. Teaching in synagogues, announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. And he healed every kind of disease. And he had compassion on them. See, Jesus understood this important truth today that I want the church, wherever you go to church, you are part of that family of God. I want you to understand that those who are not part of the family of God will not enter through the church doors anymore. Those days are gone when people thought of the church as a safe, healthy place to go. Those days are gone. You might get a few people who are looking for money, but the days of, of the church being a place where people came when they were having relational issues, emotional issues, mental issues, spiritual issues, those days are gone. Everything they need is found elsewhere. You can Google anything and have your answers immediately, right? People are not coming to us anymore. We have to go to them. And it's not going to be because we put on a a massive, awesome outreach or program that's going to get them in. It's going to be one life at a time, as Jesus did, with compassion. And so that is the second thing. As Craig Groeschel says, God is not calling us to go to church, he's calling us to be his church, the hope of the world, right? This is a going thing. This is a going thing that we bring compassion and love to the people. Going back to our comments again, 
How do we make the biggest difference in a community? By showing compassion and love. In Second Peter, sorry, First Peter 2.9, Peter writes, You are chosen. You are chosen. You are a royal priest. You are a holy nation. You are God's own possession. Okay, if that, none of that made sense, you are God's possession. You are his child. You are his son or daughter. And as a result, as a result, because of, of being part of the family of God, when you walked in and you said yes to Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to allow you to be the Savior and Lord of my life. When you did that, you have now entered into the life that he lived like he came and he loved those who were not of the family of God. Now you are called to. He continues and says, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he has called you out of the darkness into this wonderful light. I love that. It goes along with what, what God said through Micah in Micah 6, 8, where he wrote, The Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. To do what is right. To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That is how we bring the family of God to those who are not yet apart. We go to them, we show them love, and we care for them. Now I understand what you're thinking. Okay, that is overwhelming. We have 5,000 people I don't know how many people you know who don't know the love of God, but we have 5,000 people in our community who do not know Jesus or have not been in the church or maybe they were and they've left the church. 5,000 people and maybe even more. You know, the census is probably going to come out sometime early next year and we're going to see where these numbers are at now, 10 years after the stats I just gave you. Where may they be? Will they double again, go from 4,500 to 9,000? Probably not, but they're probably going to go up again. And so we have to ask ourselves, how are we going to not only stop that trajectory, but turn it back? Because we're, we're, we're the kingdom of God. We're going forward. We're not receding. We're not, we're not losing ground anymore. We're going forward. And though we may be persecuted and, and challenged and pressed down, we're not going to be overcome. Why? Because we are conquerors. We are victorious because Jesus said so. We know the end of the story. We know it's going to happen. We will be victorious. Though we will be persecuted, though we will be maligned and destroyed in some ways around the world, we will never be put out because God is victorious in the end. But how do we practically do this today? How do we win the battles in our own life? How do we make an impact? Because the reality is between 1980 and where we are today, we can't keep on that path. We have to do our part. And when we do our part, I know God will do his part. And our part is to love those who are not part of the family, just like the father did to the lost son. We must love. I love how Ronald Reagan put it. He masterly said, we can't help everyone, 
but everyone can help someone. What if the church took that approach? What if that's the new thing? What if that's the new model we create as the family of God? One person matters. What if every family in our church, we'll just throw out there 20 families. What if 20 families in, in the Nexus Family Church, now if you go to another church, put yourself into these, this place in your church, right? What if 20 families said yes to reaching one other person, one other family? What would that mean? You see, we have this connect board in the back that we've been using for the last three years that we want to connect people to Jesus. And, and even that has been hard to wrap our brains around because every month we put down a, a person who is not part of the family of God and we pray for them. And we ask God that you would bring them into the family of God. But what, is, what does that mean? We, we pray for them. That's great. We want to pray for them. But is it working? And we want to go back to that today. I want to ask you, what does it mean for you to connect another family or another individual to the family of God? I'm going to take you through five steps that are going to be very simple. And as we close this out today, I want you to write this down and I want you to commit to this or at least take a picture of it in your mind. And the first one is to just think about that family that you want to connect to or that person that you want to connect to. Many of you already have somebody in mind that you relate to on a daily basis that you feel like you could connect to Jesus at some point. Who is that? It could be somebody that you are at work with every day. It could be a friend that you, that you talk to at school. Who is it? that you know is not part of the family of God. Then start praying for them. Write down their name and pray for them every day. And step three, stay connected to them. You can't build a relationship with somebody that you're not spending time with. Spend time with that person, whether it's weekly, whether it's sending them a Facebook message, text message, calling them up. I would say minimally weekly that you're going to connect with them. You're just going to say, hey, I'm thinking about you today. Do you, need, do you need prayer for anything? Can't turn that away. That's care and love. And then ask Jesus as you're praying for him. This is it's going to be step four. Ask God, how can I care for this person? I believe God's going to give you opportunities to care for that person as you develop a relationship with them and you know what they're going through. And then you'll have that opportunity to care for them. How can you care for them? And then lastly, you will have an opportunity, whether it's to invite them to church or to some kind of thing that we're doing as a family in the church, or you yourself have an opportunity to lead them into the family of God yourself. You're going to have an opportunity to lead them because they'll know that you care. They'll trust you. They'll know that you're genuine and that what you believe is true because of the way you've acted and been consistent with them. Now, for some of you, that's going to take three years. Some of you, maybe three weeks. 
Some of you, maybe 30 years, you're going to be doing this for this person every day. This family is going to be somebody that you reach out to every week. You're going to invite them over for meals. You're going to be there when somebody passes away in their life. You're going to be there through sickness and through health, through the celebrations. You're going to be there through it all. And here's why I value this. Because when we do that, imagine what 20 families in Nexus Church could do to our community. If, say, in five years, every single one of us sees one of our friends or one of our families that we've been praying for and we've been caring for comes to the family of God. What kind of momentum will that create in the kingdom of God in our community? Because all of a sudden, our church goes from 20 families to 40 families. From 40 families, maybe in in 20 some odd years, to 80 families. See, it's not through a program. There's no relationships in programs. There's no relationships in outreaches. It's a, bam, we show up, we provide all this cool stuff for you, and then we expect somebody to come back to our family of God because we threw on this really big, awesome thing that we spent hours and hours putting together and praying about and, and pouring in tons of money to. People don't come back to a church family when you just are a splash and leave. They need relationships. Think about your relationships and who do you go back to in times when you need something to those people that you have a connection with. And when these people know that you've invested everything you could, not perfectly, into their lives, they will eventually come back. And that's how we change this trajectory of the church. When people know that we care and that we do exactly what Jesus did, we give of ourselves. And that's how we take that 5,000 people down every year instead of going the other way. That's how we change it. I'm not asking you to have four or five people up on the connect board. I'm not asking you to, to be involved in two or three families. I'm asking you for one person or one family that your family says, that's our family. We're going to love them. We're going to welcome them in. They have kids and I don't know, hockey or something. And we're going to, we're just going to pour into them. Every time we go to the rink, we're going to be sitting there next to them, not being over obnoxious, of course, but in a loving way, we're going to be involved in their life and we're going to just be there for them. That's going to be what changes our community, our world. When the church goes back to that. You see, I'm I'm a firm believer that you can only have a handful of people in your life that you can truly know and get connected with in a personal, deep way. We need to get back to that. Because in our world, we have 50 million things that we're trying to juggle and keep moving. It's like, why don't we have impact? Because we're trying to do too much. Let's get back to the basics of loving one person at a time. So as the worship team comes back up, I'm going to ask you to, to do just a very simple thing today. In the comment section below, if you're still with us today, I ask that you would write down the name of the person or the family that you want to be connecting to this three, four, five, thirty 30 years that you have left on this earth. Who is that person? Because the moment they come into the family of God doesn't mean you just drop them, right? Like this is, a, this is an investment of your life into their life. Who is that? 
Would you put that in the comments? Or if for some reason you don't feel comfortable doing that, would you direct message me through messenger or text or call or phone uh, text, whatever it is that you need to do. We, we want to be praying with you because here's the thing. I believe the power of, of prayer will work in these situations dramatically. And the more people we can get praying for you and this person, the more power we're going to see released into that situation. So would you let us know so we can pray with you? All I need is a first name. I don't need anything more. I just want to be praying with you. And so, Father, as we come before you, I ask for the boldness of these people to write down names and to not just write down a name and and pray for them when they remember, but, God, that they would really truly commit because, Father, the church is all of us together doing our part. And there's one thing that we all must do, and that's reach those who do not know the love of God. And for some people today, right now, they already have that person in mind. But Father, as we sing this last song and we close this down today, Father, maybe some other people just need to be praying about this, Father. May they not just leave it and forget about it. God, this is so important. This is the heart of the Father. That none will perish, but that all will have eternal life. Because Jesus, you said it yourself. You came to seek and to save the lost. And so we ask, Father, today that you will help us, the power of your Holy Spirit, to do exactly what Acts 1.8 said, and that is to be your witness in our generation. In Jesus' name.